um, which had nothing to do with my message. All right, red letter living. Let me tell you, today we begin this new series, and I want to look for the next six weeks just at a couple chapters, Matthew 5 and 6, and a couple weeks ago, Pastor Denny preached part of the message. I think we'll actually get into this next week, uh, the section on um, murder and the offense and brothers and sisters and um, we'll get into that next week. But these passages, I want us to discover this link that should exist between our motives and our actions. And I want to challenge you over the next six weeks, which Pastor Denny alluded to the bulletin, the new cards that we put inside there. Of course, you see that the bulletin's laid out differently. On the back of your bulletin, we've wanted to simplify and be able to communicate, put it out there in front of you, what a healthy disciple looks like. You know, part of our mission statement is to be a church of healthy disciples. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? So on the back of your bulletin, you'll see that there's a process, connecting, loving, and serving, that is part of a healthy disciple's lifestyle. But inside there, there's the message, note cards, for you to, at the bottom of there, there is a statement on there about what one truth can you begin walking out this week. And I want to challenge you over these next six weeks to grab a hold of at least one, a truth that you hear each Sunday and begin walking out Monday through Saturday. That's part of maturing. That's part of growing up. That's part of taking responsibility for what you hear. You know you're all responsible for what you hear. If I never preached another message other than the one that I'll preach this morning, you're responsible for living that. We're responsible for living what we hear. So I want to challenge you over the next six weeks to start developing that habit of taking a truth, taking notes, and taking a truth and saying, this is the one thing I'm going to start walking out this week. All right. So turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. And yes, I love a paper Bible. I, I am an electronic person, though. I mean, I'm looking at an iPad, an iPhone, and uh, I am an electronic person. But there's something about writing and taking notes inside your paper Bible that just draws your attention back to it over and over again. And this, is it this one? One of my Bibles I carry around, I think it's this one. I actually started drawing little pictures on the sides of it. And then I had to make a key because I'm like, what did that picture stand for? And I started, I made a little key in the front that, oh, that symbol means, oh, okay. Uh, it's okay. It's not blasphemy to write in your Bible, Missy, all right? Get your pen out today. She's got a pen, all right. I want us to dig into this. Let's look first at Matthew chapter 5. I want to read verses 13 through 16. And if you notice, if you're looking, why even the electronic ones, the U version, um, red letters means Jesus is speaking. So red letter living, just simple. Right? We were talking about that in class this morning. Church is not complicated. Jesus is not complicated. His instructions are not complicated. People complicate things. 
Red letter living. Let's dig into this. Chapter 5. Starting with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Jesus speaking to us. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good do deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I, I want to suggest that you are the salt of the world and you are the light of the world is talking, one, the soul of the world is what draws a desire inside of you, doesn't it? You ever eat something that's a little too salty? What do you desire? Water! Water! That saltiness is, should be inside of us that draws people to God. That light is what shines out of us that shows people our deeds, our actions. It comes from inside shows itself outward, and again draws people to God. That the salt, we are the salt of the world and the light of the world, that it's talking about the inside should match the outside. That the inside cannot be contained, but it will shine bright on the outside. So it draws people to God like saltiness draws you to water, and it shines the light and shows them where Christ is. So you are the salt and the light of the world. And I propose to you that this is what I want to tell you, that this is that motive, that's the inside. We're talking about that our motives should line up with our actions, our heart, our inside should match up with our outside. It's the same thing, that salt and the light. You can't be one without the other. Otherwise, it's confusing. So I want us to look at what it means, this saltiness, this light. Our lives are intended to draw people to God. But today's Christian has become so lukewarm in their standard of living that confusion between what's right and what's wrong is viewed as normal. This has been Satan's strategy from the beginning. Did God really say that? And come on, we've been in conversations, we've had these conversations with people where you're like, Jesus said, red letters right here, Jesus said, blah, blah, blah. Did Jesus really say that? That's Satan's strategy from the beginning. He hasn't changed. You know, I've said that over and over again. If he can get you to react by pushing this one button every time, why is he going to move to a different button? Let's just keep pushing this button. Right? It's his strategy. Confuse it. That's why so many Christians are living this hypocritical double lifestyle. Their insides don't match with their outsides. Did God really say that? There's a problem. When there becomes a separation there, that's where confusion comes in. Pat answers like, well, we'll never really know has taken the place of Jesus' very plain instructions to us. The separation between our actions and our motives, our actions and our beliefs, the inside and the outside, must be eliminated in order to reach the lost. 
In Revelations chapter 3, Jesus warns us again that we're going to be thrown out, thrown up, spit out of the very mouth of God for not living the standard, the purpose for which we were created, to be the salt inside and the light, the outside, inside, matching up with the outside. The question is, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? So this is our challenge. I want us to regain that saltiness so that our light will shine bright. I want us to look at our motives to match up with our actions, our outward, our inside matching up with our outside. So let's dig into it. Here it is. Week one, red letter living. Week one, motives matter. So let's read, jumping right into it. Let's look at verses 17. Here it is. This is the red letters. Verse 17. Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. It is Christ's intention that the spiritual requirement of God's law be fulfilled in the lives of the followers. The law must be our moral code. For those who are already in a saved relationship with God, by obeying it, we express the life of Christ within ourselves. It's our moral code. It's our moral compass. It's what directs us and keeps us on target. Like the airplane, that it cannot go, a ship cannot go. They have to have the instruments to keep it on course. The law, the written words, the red letters keep us on course. But just being, just fulfilling this isn't enough. It's got to come from here and expressing itself out. Because if you're just doing this and everything inside isn't matching up, you're nothing more than what Jesus called those whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look pretty on the outside, but you're full of death. There's nothing good inside you. A moral code means it comes from the inside and it works its way out. And now I can say, oh, that's why. And that's what we're going to dig into the next few weeks. We're going to get into Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, don't even hate your brother. See, what he's doing is he's putting line upon line, precept upon precept. He's saying, you can't just do this you got to think about this. You can't just do the outward. you got to have it coming from the inward. You can't just have it from the inward. You also have to express it outward. 
They have to come together. Before Christ, actions ruled. That's what he was talking about, the Pharisees. Unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, you're not even going to enter the kingdom of heaven. Before, it was all about actions. Now, after Christ, it's about inside and outside. It's about the inward motives, thoughts, intentions of the heart expressing itself outward. For God, heart matters are the heart of the matter. In 1 Samuel 16, God makes this point very clear when he asked the prophet Samuel to go anoint David as the next king. The story is, the history of this prophet, God says, I'm about ready to anoint the next king. I want you to go to Jesse's house. So Sam, and didn't tell him who. He just said, just go to Jesse's house. So he goes to Jesse's house, prophet the same, to anoint the next king, not knowing which one it is. And he shows up, and Jesse's like, yeah, I've got a plethora of sons. So he said, well, bring them all in. So he lines them all up there, and actually, verse 6, Samuel said, when they arrived, Samuel saw Elib, Elib, anyway, E. And he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. Why? Dale, come here. Stand beside me, Dale. Stand beside me. Yes, you're good looking. I know. <laughs> I've got heels on too, okay? Yeah. So the sons are lined up there before the prophet, and he's like, can't be that short, little woman. It's got to be this one, right? Right? I mean, doesn't he look like a preacher? Yeah. You're pretty good. Yeah, you're like, yeah. It's got to be the, stat the stature, the, look, the gray hair, the wisdom. Isn't that what we said in class? The gray hair is a sign of what? I color my wisdom every couple weeks. All right. Surely that must be the Lord's anointed standing there in front of me. And God's warning was Samuel. Verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Not you, Dale. No. For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the Things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When I first stepped into ministry 20-some years ago, I was bombarded with well-intentioned Christians telling me there is no way God's calling you to be a pastor. Especially the ones that knew my colorful history, we'll call it that. There is no way. And but over and over again, it was because you're a woman. God don't call women to be pastors. I'm like, well, I know the call that I can't get away. I mean, it's like a fire shut up in my bones. I feel like a drawing, like a compelling, almost like a pulling I couldn't get away from. And I didn't understand. I just knew it was closer to God, and he would arrange like a little chest piece where he wanted me. And so over and over again, when people are pointing their fingers at me and telling me there's no way God could be calling you, there's no way. 
I'm like, if the Bible says that he knitted me together in my mother's womb before he ever wrote even one day of my life, if in my life he wrote that I'm called to be a pastor, don't you think he knew what sex he was making me? Oops! <laughs> Made a mistake there. Didn't have that one written in my book. Don't we feel like that once in a while? But man looks on the outside. God says, I look at the heart. Don't look at what man's looking at. I look at the heart. What's wrong with the Christians today? We've separated this heart, this motive, out of our actions. We justify living in sin by making stupid comments like, well, God knows my heart. You see, we can't just say that we believe something and do another and then shrug our shoulders, well, God knows my heart. That should petrify us that God does know our heart. That should keep us to our moral compass. God knows my heart. You know, so on one side, it's a very good thing that when God, when we lead with God's spirit, when we lead with our heart and then our actions follow that, that's a good thing. But when we let our actions lead and then try to justify, well, God knows my heart, that's a very bad thing because God does know our heart. You know, later on, David, King David, was known as a king, a man after God's own heart. You see, when all those boys were lined up before the prophet Samuel, not one of them was who God chose. The little runt of the litter was still out taking care of the sheep. Dad didn't even feel that he was worthy to come stand beside his brothers. Because man looks at the outside. God says, I look at the heart. David was a man after God's own heart. We have to be led first by the heart. The inside has to match up with the outside. But too often, but too often, we side right along with the devil. Oh, did God really say that? Oh, but he knows my heart. I, I, can, I can do this because, well, God knows my heart. Proverbs 16.2 says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. The Amplified Version says, All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his own eyes, and he may see nothing wrong with his actions, but the Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. You cannot lie to God. Your heart cannot lie to God. He examines your heart and knows the very intent within it. God's careful scrutiny of motives, searching the heart, indicates that motives and intentions, even those not resulting in action, 
are still judged by God. Oh, I can think it. Just because I don't do it, it's just fine. No. And that's what we're going to study over the next few weeks. It's not just that you don't go out and take a gun and shoot the person driving slow in front of you. But you sitting in the vehicle, giving them the fist. Get out of my way! Guy or get off the road. Haven't you said that one before? No, of course not. No one says that. Same thing. Heart actions. The fundamental issue prompting the dilemma, motive versus action, is that there is not a one-to-one correspondence between a given action and the motive of its agent. The same action may be either censored or defended depending upon one's motive. For example, the difference between first-degree murder and second-degree murder is what? The intent. Was there intention there for murder? One is clemency, really, when there's no intent. But if there's intent, proven intent behind it, where is that You've got somebody sitting on the judge's throne in a courtroom judging your heart. Now, we'll we'll justify that's good in a court of law. But you don't think God can do that? He judges the intent of your heart. A fundamental principle in civil law states the act itself does not make one a criminal unless done with criminal intent. The action isn't enough. The heart is judged. The intent is judged. And the flip side is just as bad. The sin of omission becomes just as reprehensible, which actually means the deserving of condemnation. Just because you didn't do it doesn't mean that you're justified because, well, you didn't do it. The intent itself. The Bible says that anyone who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin. What? Just because I don't do something good? Yeah, it's sin. Red letters right there. The greatest commandment proves motives, proves the heart has to be accompanied with your actions. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Inside, there it is. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Your inside love and devotion has to match your actions. It has to go together. There's no separation between motives and matter, motives and action. They have to go together. Confusion comes when you try to separate those two things. So how do we regain our saltiness? Again, Isaiah 28.10, I quoted earlier. It says, for precept must be upon precept. Line must be upon line. 
truth upon truth. And that's what we're going to look over at these next few weeks. You've heard it said. And Jesus says, but then I also say. He's going to match your motives with your actions. You can't just not do something bad and think, then I must be good. We just read that just because you're not doing something bad doesn't mean you're doing something good. You have to. If you know the good you ought to do, you better do it. Or it's sin. The law is our moral code to direct our actions, but our heart must be directed by the Holy Spirit. Like a child being taught, just do this. Every parent has said that, right? You've, you've pointed your finger at one of your kids and said, just do this. Why? 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 Because I said, just do this. Well, as Christians, that's how we need to start. He said it, just do it. And then as we mature, then we'll start wanting to do those things to please the heart of our Father. Now it's not just about, I have to do it because they told me to do it. But I want to do it because it pleases the heart of the Father. That's where maturity comes in. That's what I'm trying to get us to, is growing in maturity so we're not just doing it because there's a list of do's and don'ts. But I want to do the things that pleases the heart of my Father. We have all been given the power to be the same on the inside and the outside, to be the salt on the inside and the light on the outside. And that power is the Holy Spirit. And I want you to turn with me. I want to show you this. Again, another scripture that you need to highlight in your Bible, Missy, um, is in Titus chapter 2. And all the T's are together there at the end. See, I have to think of things to find those, those smaller chapters in the Bible. Um, so look for all the T's there in the back. Titus chapter 2, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness. And what we're going to read is the Holy Spirit that's put in you, a deposit guarantee in the hope that is to come. That power inside of you is all you need to live a godly life. And it comes first inside of you and then shows itself on the outside of you. But you first need to put it inside of you. So turn with me. Titus chapter 2, verses 11, starting at verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from not some wickedness, all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Not just to think on good things but to do those good things. And if you jump down chapter 3, verse 8, it says, This is a trustworthy saying, 
and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Back up there, it says that we've been given the power to say no to ungodliness. Here's just, here's just a nugget, free nugget. Has nothing to, well, yeah, it has something to do with the scripture. If you're not teaching your kids at a young age, and I'm talking about two years old, you know, the terrible twos, or earlier, if you don't teach them what the word no means, you are disservicing not only God and his instruction, but you're teaching them that there is no no's. You have to teach. And people are like, oh, that's too strong. Don't tell your little child no. If you don't teach your child no, how are they going to know, K-N-O-W, how to say no to ungodly things? So there's just a little parent example nugget for you. You have to teach your children no. And you don't have to be mean and beat them with a board to do it. You can just know. It's okay. Anyway, that was free. The Holy Spirit, God says, you know what? I want you to live holy as I am holy. But if he was to just say that and then leave us, hello? He said, you know what? I'm also going to put inside of you a deposit guarantee and the hope of this into come. And that spirit in you will give you the strength to say no, not to some of the things, all of the things, all wickedness. It teaches you to say no to ungodliness. I've heard, I mean, I raised six kids. I've heard all the excuses in the world, it seems like, right? Why did you do that? And I, I did learn after so many kids, you just stop asking why, the boys. Actually, I learned, Josh McDowell taught me that it, it's the part of their brain that can handle consequences that doesn't even develop till they're 22, 24 years old. In boys. Now, girls, it comes a lot earlier, consequences, but I was only blessed with one girl at the beginning, but the five after her, it was like, just stop asking why. But just ingrain in them, you have been given the power by God inside you to say no to ungodliness. You can say no. It does work. It's okay, but inside of us, we have been given everything we need, the power to be inside the salt and the power to be the light on the outside. Through faith in Christ, believers by God's grace and the indwelling Holy Spirit are given the inner compulsion and power to fulfill every law of God. Every law. And to live free from all wickedness and live that holy life that he said, live, be holy as I am holy. External conformity to God's law must be accompanied by that inner transformation of our hearts by the Holy Spirit, though. The why we do the what we do. You have to have both. Otherwise, you're still a baby just doing the, well, told you to do it 
You need to know the why. That's where it comes from. The why you do the what you do. Those things have to go together. So in closing, Amy, if you can come back up. I want to read a portion of scripture to you from Romans chapter 2. I want you to really feel the weight. of aligning your heart with your actions. If we're going to stand for Christ in these last days, we can't do it with just the right heart or just doing the right things once in a while. They have to come together. Your actions and your motives have to come together. They have to align together in order to stand for Christ and what Christ stood for you, died for you to have. In Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 24, it says, Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the faith, if you are convinced that you are a teacher of little children because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach about stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. The world is waiting and watching you. And it's not just your name or your reputation that's on the line. God's name is blasphemed when your actions don't line up with your beliefs. When you say one thing and do another. When you live no different than any other heathen out there and yet claim that you have the answer. God's name is blasphemy. As a matter of fact, you might as well feel the whole weight that there is people hanging in the balance. Their eternity is at stake where they'll end up because they're watching you. They're watching me. And what we say and what we do and when they don't match up, did God really say that then? Is that really true? Is there really only one way to heaven? Is Jesus really the only way? If you pick and choose like a smorgasbord of what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe, 
If it's red letters, it's to be lived. Red letter living. Jesus said it, period. It's not confusing. People are waiting and watching. And their eternity, how many slip into hell every day because they were waiting and watching and the Christian didn't stand for what they're supposed to stand for. Well, God knows my heart. Well, good for you, I guess. Is it enough just to slip into heaven yourself and be good enough that you're saved? Is that really all that matters? Right now, you may be feeling like I was when I was putting this message together. See, God preaches to me before I even get to preach this every week. You know, and usually it's months in advance that it's it's like, you know, going through me. I, I don't have any other way to describe it. And I was to the end of this message putting it together and I felt like the biggest hypocrite in the world. And you might be sitting there today thinking the same thing. Because there's times where your actions don't line up with your heart. It's not a time for you to lower your standard of living to match your not-so-holy heart. That's not it. We need to get our heart right with God. And then on our face daily, minute by minute, if you have to, hour by hour, God, help my actions line up with my heart. I cry out all the time, God, let my heart be a heart that follows hard after you. God, don't let anything take place, your place in my heart. Let my actions be a representation of my heart for you, God. I mean, when you think about your love relationship with your spouse or your soon-to-be or your maybe one day, do you really have to explain why you love your spouse every day? Wouldn't it be best if your life was an expression of your heart that you can't help it but you do these things why because it just comes out of a heart of love you, know, you don't have to tell them all the time but you can't help it I just can't. why do you tell me you love me so much all the time you tell me because I just can't help it it just comes out can't help but touch hold you want to be with you love relationship Purity of motive is the goal. Purity of motive, purity of heart is the goal that honors God. True conversion starts from the inside and works its way outside. So what I want to do, if the ushers are ready, I want us to take time. Now, at the end of this message, the first of every month we take communion uh, as the assemblies of God, it, it's something that we know that we're commanded to do, that it's an ordinance that we'll repeat. Jesus said, do this until I return. Honor me. Think about the sacrifice I made. Honor me. Do this together. And so when we get ready to take communion, if I can have the ushers start handing out these symbols, 
The Bible encourages us before we take communion to examine ourselves. And what a perfect time that if we examine our heart first and get things in order, that we won't be subject to being judged by our motives. If our motives are directing us, if our motives are guiding us, if our heart is right and aligned with God, let it, let it direct us. So I want you to take these symbols and immediately you close your eyes and I want you to just start seeking God. God, search my heart. David cried out in the Psalms. God, search my heart and let me know, is there any wickedness in my heart? Is there any wicked way within me? And ask God that. God, search my heart. Search my heart. Search my heart, God. Is there anything wicked within my heart, God? Anything displeasing to you inside me? God, is there anything in my life where my motives, my heart doesn't match up with my actions. Search me and know me. And when he starts pinpointing those things, if you start hearing different things, sensing different things, ask him to forgive you for that. God, I'm sorry. You're right. That's wrong. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. I should stop doing this. I should start doing this. When he starts putting his finger on those things, talk to him right now while we're just sitting here. Get right. Get your heart right with God. Maybe you're sitting here today and you've never even begun that relationship with God. Right now, I give you my heart. I give you my life. I turn over the reins of my life. I don't want to lead my life anymore. God, I, I surrender to you as a leader, the Lord of my life. I accept the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross as we're about ready to take the communion that describes the sacrifice. God, I accept that sacrifice and I ask right now that you come into my heart it's my Savior, Lord, leader. And I'll serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And follow you. Talk to him right now.